0: Start. Hello, you cartridge blowers out there. This is N64 Life with myself, Cliff Foster gave the amazing cliff on the old twitter your guide through the world's greatest computer game console of all time the nintendo 64 welcome aboard to march's show yes just got in there <laughs> isn't it the 30th of today hang on let's look at it. it's the 31st fantastic it's not not when i'm recording this but when it goes live i literally snuck into march (laughs) just 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 i'm on for my one per month i'm I'm keeping this up barely you know last last podcast you had was beginning of feb this one is like (laughs) end of march it's literally been like two months really between both podcasts but that doesn't matter i said one per month that that's 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 the pressure i'm putting on myself and I just got in there. <laughs> and the reason why it was slightly delayed was I went on holiday. I've said that before. But this is a super girthy, Gurfy episode where there's been lots of, uh yeah. Oh, the amount of research Jesus wept. The three games I chose. And it was a oh, deep... Uh, we just dive deeper and deeper and deeper every single one of these games what we're gonna cover today it was like literally like oh I could do a whole episode on each of these individually let alone uh, uh, as this this combined podcast but we we're coming to today's show in the middle Minix we need our waffle like we like we like to waffle on the old twitch stream don't we yes n64 live podcast if you're not already following switch stream go and do so we're roughly about 20 followers away that we're gonna be playing the gamecube classic wind waker in its entirety so if you're not already come across there hit the follow button we play nice things like body harvest and pokemon snap recently uh, we also go into the GameCube. We go into the Game Boy Advance as well. Come, come across. It's a lovely, happy place, full of awesomeness and amazingness. Yes, and these people, because these people have declared a shout out. Yes, if you get enough chat points, you can get yourself a chat shout out, and these people have done so. So we got Ross. We got Harry. We've got Sean. We've got Soph. Hi, Soph. Hi, Soph. Hi so we've got Misha, we've got Neil, we've got Matty, we've got some, we've got ACA Adam, uh, we've got super sexy David Fisher, but we've also got Princess Di, don't, don't ask. I'm not, I'm not angry, just disappointed. Yeah, so if you want to know what that's about, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you here. No, nothing like no context. <laughs> Come and join us over at N64 Life Podcast on Twitch every Friday, every Sunday, eight thirty till eleven, or keep an eye on N64 Life Podcast on the old Twitter for any changes to that. Um. Yeah, so we're gonna go in today's show and it is a battle for gingos and at the end I'm going to announce that next time next month. We've got a special show. Well, not alone. Whoa, oh teasing Teasing for your ears in hey hey no, not you You're always here. Yes, you are No, these are special guests You're not spec- well, you are spec- but anyway, anyway I digress. Shut up, Chuff. Stop trying to get yourself over. You're not over. How many times do we have to discuss this? Anyway, cause today we have a special battle for jinjos. And it's on these three humongous games. Pilot's Wings 64. This is a game that a lot of people think fondly about. But how chill is this game? (laughs) That's for you, Timson. How chill is this game? We'll soon find out. And it's battling off against... Yes, my favorite franchise of all time. My major love in this world Star Wars. I love all Star Wars apart from episode two. I love all Star Wars. I love the animated series. I do know what I don't mind apart from episode two the prequels and I don't mind the sequel trilogies, obviously. Obviously, that main trilogy in its uncut form before 1996—that is where the glory is for me. And obviously, the TV shows have been spectacular. And Rogue One. Oh, 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 we're still going to—it's not a Star Wars podcast. Not a Star Wars podcast. Even though it might digress into that as we go into this journey. However. This game, Shadows of the Empire, this is Nintendo's first, but not last, jump into Star Wars as an exclusive. Bucky O'Hare hears your explain. I'll explain more later. However, this is this is a game that could have defined a generation of Star Wars fans. Did it? That is the question, and we go. But one day later, but one day later, to this game. Turok Dinosaur Hunter, a game that started... A franchise that was synonymous with this console. People think so fondly back on Seeds of Evil. But is this the real great? We'll find out together. Cause you know how this works now. But I'm still gonna say the rules in a minute. You know I will. But Pilot Wings 64, Star Wars, Shadows of the Empire, Turok Dinosaur Hunter, Battle for Jinjos! Let's do this. You know how this worked. Because this could be your first time. It could have been your 30th. But this is how a battle for Jinjos works. We have five categories. As you did in Banjo-Kazooie, you had five Jinjos you had to collect. We have five categories that are up for grabs. The first one being storyline, second one being gameplay, third one being graphics and sound. The fourth is what did IGN think of this game when it was launched and the last one, the most important one is what did you guys think? Because if you didn't know already, if you are following N64 Life podcast on the or Twitter, you you can vote and have your say. And if not, you can join the Discord channel in the notes below. And you can have your say there as well about these games. But let's start off with Storyline and Pilot Wings 64. Launched in Japan on the 23rd of June 1996. In North America on the 29th of September 1996. And this date is gonna come up a couple of times on the 1st of march 1997 in europe published by nintendo developed by paradigm simulations which will later become paradigm entertainment founded in 1990 in addison texas they created products that were virtual reality based uh, but mainly simulations hence why the name started as simulations for the military uh, for nasa and for aviation companies such as Boeing. But in 1994, Nintendo contacted Paradigm after they co-developed Hornet, a realistic fight flight sim. Now, with this, they already had connections with Silicon Graphics. Because Paradigm were using them to create uh, some of the bits that they were already doing so. And with this, that they were able to create their own N64 software without having... That all important console. So they were really fresh out the traps in 1995. In 1994. Um, and they assisted Nintendo in polishing off a demo of the N64 and other games that were hopefully, we said Bucky O'Hare here is coming out for that, for the E3 in 1995. Yes, that original E3. And follow, following that partnership, Nintendo entrusted them to create. As sequel to its 1990s SNES classic Pilot Wings. So, how does Pilot Wings work? Will come mainly into the gameplay, but it's very different to any other game that you will find at the time. It's a game where you have to claim pilot licenses by completing challenges uh, from anything from plane uh, flight to hang gliding to skydiving and to having. A lovely rocket pack attached around yourself or just going around in an attack helicopter, absolutely shooting everything down. So with a simple, as I said, game premise, it doesn't need an over like an overcomplicated storyline, does it? so the literal plot of this game is in the world of pilot wing 64 many young pilots fly the wild blue younger with dreams of receiving their pilots licenses and aviators badges to fulfill your dream you must operate three vehicles a hang glider a rocket belt and a gyrocopter successfully and complete the flight tests for each class so not the most 11 let's put it like this we're starting here (laughs) when we're just about to go into two of the most expansive universes that the n64 has and to be honest one of them is just expansive everywhere where nintendo or sorry acclaim helped to create a bigger world for the other one however (laughs) It doesn't need anything drastic, does it? You're not there to save the world from attacking... ROBOTS! ATTACKING ROBOTS! I... 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 Where the hell did that come from? Robot! Where did the attacking okay right anyway but it didn't need it doesn't need anything drastic does it It doesn't need explanation of why things are there it's just pilot wings and run franchise that sometimes explains itself a bit too much some say sometimes some say not many uh they're not enough (laughs) star wars and we're going on to shadows of the empire released in japan on the 14th of June, 1997. But before that, it was released in North America on the 3rd of the 12th, 1996. And then in Europe on on the 1st of March, 1997. Published by Nintendo and developed by LucasArts. Now, before we go into LucasArts, let's go into LucasFilm. And their publishing director, Lucy Audrey Wilson, who met with uh, Bantam Books editor... Um, Lou Aronica Uh, now Aronica suggested that what they do alongside uh, Lucasfilm waiting to launch their new trilogy uh, the prequel trilogy of Darth Vader um, to get the sort of public more interested in Star Wars again public uh, Lucasfilm had already decided that it was going to re-release and redesign the original <laughs> sorry the original trilogy uh, which obviously came out as the uh, special editions in 1997 now alongside this what uh, Aronica suggested was that they create a multimedia experience so a story set aside books comics have a whole soundtrack associated to it as well as a computer game now this started in may of 1996 when the novel by steve perry was originally published as well as dark horses comics which came out the same month which was a six-part series by john wagner now with this they created and brought back um characters from the original series however one of those created characters was a character called dash rendar now what the computer game would do was follow that story of dash as he goes through those very similar those familiar places as we were used to from that star wars universe and actually give us some first experiences of those locations on the on the screen so it it was quite exciting really um however nintendo came along and jumped on uh, really this coup of a game because i mean to get exclusive rights nintendo jumped at this game and got exclusive rights until it was released on pc later on um and were really pushing for a christmas release now obviously they got there in north america and uh, actually, saying that, Mark uh, Haig Hutchison, who was the project lead on Shadows of the Empire, said that there was considerable pressure to finish the game in time for Christmas 96 deadline. Uh, this reality meant many, many late nights, with some team members regularly working over 100 hours per week for the best part of a year. We had to release the game shortly after the machine, and so were under more pressure there might usually be encountered. Now, I'm not saying shortcuts were made, but you definitely can see a difference in this game to, let's say, latter um, Star Wars games. It was very much that early part of the N64 lifespan. However, as I said, and I may have alluded to earlier, this may have been an exclusive to start with, but they expanded it into a PC game, and with that PC game, we'll go into that when we go into Sound of Graphics, they did make modifications to it making it a it's a better game but anyway let's go into it the storyline of star wars shadows of the empire so get your popcorn get your get your popcorn get your popcorn and sit back and enjoy So the to- story is divided into four chapters. So part one, the escape from Echo Base begins shortly before the Battle of Hoth. As Dash Rendar and his droid co-pilot, Libu, arrive at Echo Base to deliver supplies, he briefly talks with Han Solo, not his brother, it's not, it's not a copy of Han Solo, stop it, who gets him temporarily cleared to fly with rogue squadron dash pilots a Snowspeeder into battle and returns to echo base when the shell generator is destroyed just as the millennium falcon leaves he makes his way look his brother's just left without him that's not very nice is it <laughs> he makes his way through the base attempting to return to his ship the outrider dash <laughs> it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like this is a copy of han solo at all does it he dash encounters several wampers on the way and has to fight an atst but eventually makes it back to lebo and the outrider and they escape a star destroyer through an asteroid field part two in search of boba fett like we all were and then we got a TV series with uh, space mods. Anyway, anyway, I digress. In Search of Boba Fett begins after the end of Empire Strikes Back as Dash searches for Boba Fett, who holds Han Solo, definitely not his brother. And he's not a clone About Why would you keep saying that? Uh, who holds Han Solo, frozen in carbonite. He hunts and battles IG-88, which is a droid an assassin droid that we'll get to know better in the Mandalorian for those are more casual fans, uh, who is attempting to repair his ship on Ord Mantell after an altercation with Fett. The droid tells him that Fett is hiding on a moon of the planet Gaul. Dash finds Fett and damages his ship, the Slave One, But Fett escapes, believing that the Emperor will let him take Darth Vader's place if Skywalker is killed, Prince Zazar orders Jabba Hutt to kill Luke Skywalker. So we've got an, the main antagonist in this, who's a leader of a crime syndicate called the Dark Sons. In part three, hunting the assassins, Jabba sends a group of swoop bikers to Obi-Wan Kenobi's home, where Luke is practicing, practicing his Jedi skills. Dash races them to Kenobi's and eliminates all of the gang. Luke informs Dash a secret Imperial supercomputer aboard the Imperial Freighter Suprosa containing unknown important Imperial construction plans of the Death Star 2. Dash steals the computer and battles with car- a cargo droid in a hangar. Part 4, Layer of the Dark Prince, begins with Luke, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, and Dash. Definitely not Han Solo. Why would you keep making these comparisons when he's with Lando and Chewie that he might be Han Solo? Why would you do that? As they infiltrate Caesar's palace on Coruscant to save Princess Leia. No comparison again. Uh, whom Caesar has captured. Dash enters the palace through the underground sewer system and battles an enormous Dianoga before entering the palace itself. While in the palace, Dash plants thermal detonators in an effort to destroy it before Caesar summons his droid, which Dash quickly disposes of. After defeating the droid, this makes it sound all very, very like, oh, yeah, Dash is just, yeah, I suppose it's a, it's a limited town version of the story. It's like, oh, yeah, he just sort of just destroyed him, didn't he? Doesn't make it sound very like computer gamey, does he? <laughs> I'm reading this verbatim off of Wikipedia if you're wondering. <laughs> After defeating the droid, Caesar flees to his Skyhook space station. Caesar's forces engage in a battle with the Rebellion but during the conflict an Imperial Star Destroyer arrives, firing on both parties. The conflict turns as the Star Destroyer engages Cesar and his forces. Utilising this destruction, Dash destroys Skyhook's outer defences and proceeds to fly inside the station. Destroying its core, Dash is presumably killed in the blast along with Caesar, because there can't be two hand solos. A short pre credit scene shows Leia and Luke on Tatooine mourning Dash's death, because that's what he would have wanted, for them to go back to that friggin' planet they go back to for everything. I don't care if your surname Skywalker... Oh, I'm getting flashbacks again. Anyway, <laughs> I don't care if you don't like sand... Ah, why do you keep bringing us back to this planet <laughs> oh sorry sorry about that uh, <laughs> if the game is completed on medium and difficulty levels this is followed by an additional scene of ha- Dash and Libu who have jumped to hyperspace to escape the bars Libu questions Dash's decision to keep the-, the illusion they had died in the Skyhook's destruction to which Dash replies, because we're not in the movies, Leebu. We can't. We need to explain this somehow. There's no reference to us ever again. Ever. We can't be alive because then people would ask, why are we not in the movies, Libu? He didn't. Um. <laughs> he did reply that it's good to be remembered as a martyr without actually being dead wouldn't you say that no it's because we wouldn't then all because Star Wars fandom's definitely not toxic and people would definitely not go ah but why is he not in the uh, return of the Jedi anyway (laughs) (laughs) let's go on To a franchise that came from the comic book world. Slightly better (laughs) franchise. Slightly better fan base than Star Wars sometimes. And that's Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Released in Japan on the 30th of May 1997. In North America. Before that. On the 28th of February 1997. And then just after. Just after. On the first. We're going to say the first. And we're going to say the first. Of March 1997, uh, it, it was it, the weird thing about this game was was it was released with the N64 launch date. Problem with that is it wasn't the launch date everywhere, and we may have discussed the problems that they had in France before, and we've discussed uh, pr- uh, th- you know that there was better supply in England and in Germany to a lot of uh, Europe, um, but this game still released in France and those countries on the first so that meant that the game is one of the first games or one of the only games to be released and being able to purchase that game before you were able to get the console itself which is is a rarity in the way of computer games but yeah so in certain countries you were able to spend your 70 quid (laughs) <laughs> your 70 pounds on two dinosaur hunter before you c- you could get the actual console itself bonkers anyway published by acclaim and developed by Guan entertainment uh it was it, they, we've gone into this a little bit before however acclaim bought out the uh comic uh publisher Valiant Comics in 1994, and they did that with the sole reason of that they needed franchises to develop on after losing Mortal Kombat and uh, losing other rights as well of their sports games. So they they had to. It was a bold move, but it paid off with Turok because Turok Turok, If you're looking at it as a franchise, started back in 1954. Um, It was originally by Western Publishing and Dell Comics, but Valiant uh, revived the Turok franchise in 1993. Um, So, yeah, so Valiant would do that, and the series would go on to 1996, um, and it went on for 51 issues. So we're talking just before this, you had 51 issues, so there was a fan base to Turok already. Not, let's say, an expansive fan base, but it was a known franchise elsewhere um and then development started for this in 1996 which is phenomenal seeing that it was released in 1997 everywhere and it was only developed by a 15-man team and they had to decide on this game of what was it gonna be was it gonna be a side-scrolling adventure was it gonna be similar to successes like tomb raider uh where it was third person but no they decided that it was gonna bring the first person craze to the n64 and they believed that this was the best way to showcase the console's capabilities they also went for a weirdly super violent route which nintendo it still joked us now you know nintendo is the family friendly console and they went down this route of being very super violent like Super violent. In fact, in Germany, they replaced the humans with robots. So you weren't killing robot you weren't killing people, you were killing robots. Uh, which would continue on to Turok Dinosaur Hunter 2, uh, to my knowledge, that they actually instead of the blood effects, they used like electric effects uh, every time someone was shot. I don't know how that works with the cerebral bore, but hey-ho! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, project manager um, uh, David uh, Dainstaber, uh he believed that it wouldn't be accepted by Nintendo. But weirdly, Nintendo never asked to get any clearance on anything. So they didn't turn around and say, oh, yeah, you have to get clearance on this, like they did with IGN when we come to Body Harvest, or even with Rare in those early days as well, even though they had a lot of trust in Rare. They also had a lot of trust in Acclaim because Acclaim, yeah, they ha- they were a big publisher at that time. They were a huge publisher and Iguana had done so well with the NBA j- uh, franchise, you know, the NBA Jam franchise that it was almost like, well, we've got exclusive right to some of these games. We, we, we don't want to lose that right, especially if they reskin it and turn it into South Park, which, sh- spoilers, it went elsewhere. You know, they, they wanted to make sure that they kept this very much in-house. But it was so strange that Nintendo unintentionally created an uh, adult game. You know, this was one of the first games in the UK uh, on the N64 that got the fifteen certificate. And Turok Dinosaur Hunter 2 also did. So it was it, it's a very, very strange set of circumstances. Why... Nintendo just let them do it. The launch date of the game was originally going to be the 30th of September 1996, but then it was pushed back to January 1997, and then pushed back <laughs> to March of uh, 1997. Now, we've, we've this trumped up so much popularity and so much intrigue even though as i may have alluded to it had a 70 pounds price on it the pre-orders went so well that even before the launch of the title they had announced that as development had started on Tour rock 2 so that is incredible but even before the game came out he didn't expect it was going to sell as many cartridges as it cartridges as it did So let's go into the story, because the story, you know, when I was younger, I got to Dinosaur Hunter and we'll go into controls later with uh, (laughs) when we, you know, when when we go into that with gameplay. But the major thing that I thought it was just going to be was man running around forest with dinosaurs. I wasn't expecting the expanded universe that we were gonna get so what is the storyline of Turok Dinosaur Hunter so the player assumes control of Tau Set who is the Turok so Turok is not a person Turok is a chiefdom that is given to someone, a native American time travelling warrior, that will sell millions of games that one thing it's a native american time traveling warrior it sold sell me the game the mantle of turok is passed down every generation to the eldest male each turok is charged with protecting the barrier between earth and the lost lands a primitive world where time has no meaning the lost land is inhabited by a variety of creatures from dinosaurs to aliens An evil overlord known as the campaigner seeks an ancient artifact known as the chrono scepter. A weapon so powerful it is broken into pieces to prevent it from falling into the wrong hands. The campaigner plans on using a focusing array to magnify the chrono scepter's power. Destroying the barriers that separate the ages of time. And the rule of the universe. Two rock vows to find the Chrono Scepter, eight pieces, and prevent the campaigners' schemes. So, I mean, that's really cool. I d- I'll be honest, there is someone might be listening, and someone that might know this person, a couple of people might know this person. There is a special podcast I want to do with somebody, um, and it is to dive into the comics and the lore behind Turok because i'll be honest i don't know enough to say i'm an expert like all of this is i am an idiot on a mic dipping into n64 games i have a basic knowledge i i'm like do you know when they say uh jack of all trades but master of none that is me with this console I dip my feet into these games into these laws, and I dip me foot, take me foot out. Like so I try and make this as accurate as I possibly can, but I still make mistakes. So I'd love to know the law more behind the law of this game. Now, one of the things is, is, as you heard, it gets passed down to the oldest male. That's quite an important statement when we get to <laughs> when we get to Tour three. Now, in fact, on the art cover, You'll notice that there's a difference between your guy and the guy on the artwork. Because the guy on the artwork is not Tao Set. That is Joshua Fireseed. Now, if you know who Joshua Fireseed is, he's the character in Turok 2 Seeds of Evil. So he takes on to be honest, the, <laughs> the mantle of Turok. Now, funny enough, they do correct it on the artwork for the Japanese release. So Taoset does appear on there rather than it being Joshua. But it's it's yeah, it is a weird moment because you sort of look at he looks very much younger and not like the character that I'm playing as. Hang on a minute, um, it, <laughs> you do have that moment when you're younger when you don't know quite the law of this game, guys. It doesn't look anything like me <laughs> so which out of these games has the best storyline now I think pilot wings let's theres uh, God bless pilot wings but let's just let's just stick that to one side for now it's not gonna be too that so we've got Star Wars shadows of the Empire and we've got uh Turok dinosaur hunter now you may well have listened to when I've done these before. And I say about original storyline. Now, the thing is with Star Wars, this is where it makes it a bit difficult. And I have not scored these. I am doing it after reading through all of it, all my notes, and I've decided to do it on the fly. We're doing this live. So, Fala Gas Star Wars star wars has an original it doesn't have an original storyline as such because it's based upon that star wars universe however what i like is it sort of segregates itself off from the literature and follows dash however it follows dash in a way that it hits you in the nostalgias and it's there as i said it's there to reignite the star wars fire with the other bits of uh, the films, the uh, the books, the music, all of that coming out. It's there to hit you with the nostalgias. So, and get you excited for this prequel trilogy. So, and, and there are, the, you know, I, I made the joke at the end. As a Star Wars fan, there's massive potholsters. So why don't we ever see Dash again? What happens to Dash? You know, it, it's just like, oh, well, yeah, he's, he's there. And he's gone. So why didn't he help out the? He obviously knew about the uh, Death Star um too. He got the plans for it. So why didn't he help out the rebellion there? It's an odd one to me. It is an odd one. Star Wars. It is a good story, and you know we we do go to Cor. Uh, we we will talk about this in a minute. You go to places like Coruscant. That was the first time I'd ever seen Coruscant. You know, a couple years later, we'd see it on the big, big screen. However, that was the first time seeing that, like that coruscant, the the battle above it, uh, with the ship. But it's it's sort of not referenced anywhere either. Um, This is the problem when you do continuity away from a movie. And I think that when we come onto Rogue Squadron, I think that does it better because it almost beefs it out because you you almost go between empire before between empire and um empire and uh, uh jedi luke makes massive steps forward in his character so it, it it needs that it needs to explain why luke has been fleshed out completely this doesn't do that you know with rogue squadron when we come down to that later i feel that that's the maturing of luke because Luke is in charge of these people and he gains a relationship with his squ- rogue squadron yet with this it just feels a bit it doesn't it doesn't feel normal um yeah i think and i i come down to it again and i i i, I wouldn't know how original this story is compared to the comics but it's still not as well a known story and Turok Dinosaur Hunter would become Turok as a franchise for this console would become huge it would be a massive money bringer especially the next one you know it would be a huge game for this console so I'm giving storyline to Turok Dinosaur Hunter. And it's not an easy decision. I have to... I'm being really critical. And I am the most critical over Star Wars. This is the reason why we haven't really... Well, we did Star Wars uh, Episode One: Racer. That hasn't got much of the lore there. And it's a fantastic game as well. Um, But at the same time, this, I have to be critical. Like I am with all Star Wars. I love all Star Wars. As I said to you, even... um, episode two i i you know i love all star wars but there's so many like bits in this that i go yeah it doesn't really explain much (laughs) it doesn't flesh it out it doesn't flesh it out anyway let's go on to gameplay let's see pilot wing should have a bit more of a punching chance in this one come on pilot wing 64 you can do it So here we have it. Pilot Wings attempt to get the ginger. I really always feel sorry for games about storyline. <laughs> it's not too bad if both don't. So I do it. I can decide, okay. Let's change the category. But with the triple threats, it's a bit like, oh, you sort of don't have that. <laughs> well, you you go over there. <laughs> so, Pilot Wings 64. Let's go into gameplay because to begin with they didn't really know what they were going to do with the gameplay they didn't really know if it was going to be arcade or simulation um so i think they found a happy medium with it really because you have got that simulation basis of that you can just go around the islands there's landmarks on the islands there's a mario head that you can shoot multiple times it turns into wario there's there's cities there's there's giant robots (laughs) Stay away. Oh, it's all right. It's gone. I think it's gone. I think the giant rope has gone. Anyway, you can see space shuttles. You can see um, there's so much that you can just go and explore by yourself. And I think that actually it's one of the best games for doing that on this console. I feel like you're really exploring and that exploration and that there could be anything in this game. As I said to you, there's a lovely Easter egg that there's like a Mount Rushmore and Mario's cut into it. And if you shoot it with your rockets on your your airplane, because that's just what you want uh, on a lovely desert island, isn't it? You, you want a gyrocopter with loads of rockets. But anyway, if you shoot that, it turns into Wario. warrior. There's so many little things and it felt like that you could really go and explore and find something. I've only really had that with a handful of games mainly the rockstar games but i remember when sea of thieves was launched i had that same feeling of actually how deep does this go and i I felt that when i first played pilot wing 64 how deep does this actual game go how how much detail have they put into it but anyway the main game mechanics is that you choose between six pilots all named after birds (laughs) but they're all sort of different categories so you've got lark and kiwi now lark is actually um he's based upon nintendo powers mascot nesta so he's very much modeled on him which is really cool but then you've got lark and kiwi they're the lighter of the two so lark and kiwi they're good at like hang gliding uh skydiving uh the jumble hopper when you get that uh in the sort of extra games but where they're small they're easily affected by wind so the issue is is there anything heavy, like a cannonball, for instance, y- you don't want them, you know, they're, they're just going to be too floaty like they're going to be not. They're not going to be what you need. So then you come sort of the medium characters, the medium characters of Goose and Ibis, um, which you, they're good for the sort of rocket packs, the gyrocopters, skydiving, but they're, they're sort of like the happy medium of them all. So they're not going to be the best at hang gliding or skydiving, but then at the same time, they're not the worst. And then we come to the heavy of the characters. You've got Hawk, who Hawk is just very iconic with his big mustache and muscly build. And then you've got Robin, which Robin's name in Japan was Hooter. Not even joking. If you go and search a picture of Robin now. <sighs> Her name was Hooter. It was changed for obvious reasons, I think. <laughs> but they're your heavy too. they they're, they're your heavy too. So they're the ones that are good for the cannonball, the gyrocopter. But, you know, skydiving, uh, hang gliding, stay clear of. They're too heavy for that shite. You know, that it, it becomes too hard to maneuver them around. Um, with it, it's one of those games that very much complements itself to the n64 controller you know we say this all the time if it comes from nintendo it does and especially these early games really took advantage of that so with it you you've got that element that you it's built around that controller that it felt that the nubbin feels like it's you know you've got control over it you know you've got the control over the vehicles or skydiving or you know because you've still got six sports in it um uh, three of them are the main challenges, and then three of them are extras. So the main challenges it's got high, uh, hand gliding, uh, rocket belt and gyrocopter, and then you've got the extras in uh, cannonball, uh, skydiving, uh, jumble copter, uh, jungle hopper, uh, jumble, sorry, jumble hopper. And then later on, it, it gives you the Birdman, which just means that you can go around the island just willy-nilly wherever you fancy in this Birdman costume, which is... It's really fun, (laughs) Um, but this is where this game gets a reputation. So everyone says that this game is relaxing and I'll be honest. If you do it on beginner, it's all about flying through free hoops. It gives you the lovely music, which we'll go on to in a minute. However, this game wants to chew you up and destroy you because when you go into class a and class b you know it's it's all about floating on pads and trying to land on the pads and just being slightly off and the wind blows you off and you've got to land on it and then you've got to take off again and you've got to land on multiple pads and then class b is "Ah, it's back again giant robot Anyway, but no, this is the sort of thing that it gives you in class A, class A and B, and then pilot class. Don't, don't even, don't even get me started. on pilot class It's got to take a picture of the monster and the boat and the space shuttle, and then before landing perfectly. And then there's the monster again. The robot. back. Now it's looking ice at you. So this is the difference. Like people always say it's a lovely, relaxing game. It is. You've got that element to it. But then if you want a challenge by Jinjo, it picks up the challenge rate when you come into those latter stages. And it is one of those games that you want to perfect. You want to make sure you get perfect. You want the best score. And you will sit there and hours will pass. And you go, hang on a minute. I've just been sat on the same gyrocopter bloody level or rocket pack level because I want to do this perfectly. Your beginners like this beginner so takes your hands and skips with you down the road because everything's gonna be fine and then you get off that is giant robot again he's back <laughs> um so it's 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 you know what this is where it's nice and varies because it will give you you know uh, uh, timson said in the chat actually it's funny because i had that line written and Timson said in the chat, anybody says that this is an relaxing game, don't know what they're talking about. And it is it is right, you know, apart from those beginner levels, but it gives you something. I think that this game will give you what you want from it. You know, that Birdman level, that when you're in the bird suit, it, it, Birdman suit, it's, <sighs> I go to that. That's a go-to. That I just want to just sit down and switch off. Your... But at the same time, if I want something challenging, if I want something that I'm gonna sit and tongue out and concentrate to, not a streaming game. I couldn't, don't think I could ever do those on stream because they are so. You have to give your concentration a hundred percent to that game. And the thing is, when you're streaming, you can have a laugh, you have a joke, just relax. You but but that you you have to give it your all, and it's very hard to think of another game like that on this console where. You can't just sit back and enjoy, you know. You have to actually really think about what you're doing. And you have to make sure it's all precise. And, you know, and that's the great thing about it. It's, there's, you know, the, the island as well. As I said, the exploration is absolutely flipping awesome. And it controls really nice. I, 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 Gameplay is awesome. So let's go on to Star Wars shadows of the empire now and in its soul in its soul we say in its soul this is a third person shooter yeah you can play it first person if you just want to screen and occasional lasers to fire out that screen you're fine that's how you like the first person shooters so be it but um it, it, even though it is a third person shooter it tries to be everything else it's the major thing I would say about Star Wars uh, Shadows of the Empire. It just tries to be everything else. It wants to be everything else. Because when you start off the opening level on half and it throws you straight into the movie, straight into the Battle of Half, straight into fro- uh, destroying probe droids, straight into, you know, sh- shooting down ATSTs and taking down ATATs. you know, it, it, it takes you straight into that action. And then you're like, oh... It's a it's a free roaming, no space space game like ships and shooties. Boo boo is yeah. This is cool. Oh, oh straight into the rebel base. You watch you watch your definitely not copycat Han Solo. No, you're the copycat. You see Han Solo fly away. You you're releasing wampers and he be attacked by them and you are sort of shooting them and sort of running away. But even though it doesn't quite know what. wants to be in those opening levels and then you've got the train level and you're jumping over things and then next thing you know you're having to run away from the assassin droid and the next thing you know you're racing through Mos Eisley uh, it, it, it's so it, it doesn't quite know what it is in my opinion but this was my first experience outside of the Star Wars arcade game of really feeling like I was part of the movies. And this wasn't on rails like the arcade game. This was free roaming. So, yet again, because you see when the Millennium Falcon takes off, like you do in the movie, it makes you feel a part of the movie. Or did back then. I think it's been a major problem Of this. is A lot of this has been surpassed with other games. But I think it made you feel like you were part of that movie. So, it, it, and also, you it's that nice mixture of the levels as well, I suppose, because, you know, you're, you're looking at, you've got boss fights in there with uh, IG-88 and then Boba Fett, and it's, it feels opposite episodic because it makes it episodic. You know, you've got the Hoth, uh, the battle on the base, you've got the asteroid Belt, you've got Ord uh, Mantle, Junkyard, you've got that train bit, as I was saying, you've got the spaceport, you've got Tatooine, where you go and, through Mos Eisley, through Beggar's Canyon, to get to uh, Obi-Wan's house. Um, it was my first experience to see Coruscant in, uh, on a screen, because I-, I could do a whole bloody episode on the expanded Universal Star Wars. I knew what Coruscant was, but to see it in the screen for the first time, um, for me, because I wasn't a PC gamer, you know, going through the, uh, the dogfight above, the sewers below, um, that expanded story of if luke's taken out then who who will take over no the brawl of two isn't really a thing there if luke's taken out unless vader takes out the emperor and then uh caesar comes and uh, there's the problem <laughs> this is the problem with star wars you can't make law and then it, there's too much law <laughs> and this is my favorite franchise of all time but it, it tries to as i said it doesn't quite know what it is like the thing is is that even with the weapons even with the weapons we had had quake and doom before and with these weapons they really expanded on oh this is exciting oh i i can't wait to get the chainsaw i can't wait to get the sawn off shotgun i can't wait to get all these bits and pieces i can't wait to get the bfg can't wait for that but then it gives you the weapons in this game. And, yeah, again, it doesn't... It's almost like it doesn't want to be a third-person shooter because it's like, it gives you the rechargeable laser. It, it sort of... It, you see, like, um, uh, sh- uh, seeker missiles, flamethrowers, pulse cannons, stun guns, disruptor, you get jetpack, collecting emblems, you, you know, you get health. And it, is it... Okay, so you're going to get actual lives in this game so you're taking me out that element that i'm free roaming and you know part of this movie by giving me lives it was almost like that's a 16-bit trope you know or platformer trope this isn't so what are you are you a platformer are you it it just feels so odd it always as i said it doesn't quite know what it is even gives you invincibility at points Okay, so then you're becoming the over over the top dooms and quakes. That's fine, but this is Star Wars, you know? It's it's an odd one for me. And the, the difficulty um spectrum in this is so it's it's polarizing. There's parts that are like you you're like, oh, okay, I'm bored of this now. It's too bloody easy. And then he just throws you completely in the deep end and you're you're facing off against um, IG-88 and you're like, oh, flipping heck. And he, he throws you into those difficulty barriers and it's like, okay, <sighs> it's a weird one with the gameplay for this. It feels, not that he was rushed, because Turok was more rushed. It just doesn't seem to click and get what it is. And the controls aren't natural either. It's almost like they like a lot of these games where they've sort of understanding the controller. Because we'll come to Turok Dinosaur Hunter now, because with the gameplay game of that, it got the controller, but took it in a bit of a different direction to how first-person shooters were. Because just around the corner, before after this, we're gonna see the launch of uh golden eye and we'll see doom 64 uh we'll see quake 64 as well and very much how they did it was you know you had the you had the nub in and you control and if you wanted to look up and down certain games you could doom 64 you couldn't you know it, so we've obviously hitting the l buttons to have a look up and down things like those lines so it, it, this took it in a really at the time weird direction like i i could not when i was younger i could not control could not use the controls uh for uh, seeds of evil because uh, and to uh, the original like i because it would use the nubbin to look around and then use the c buttons as your direction buttons and my head couldn't like figure this out but actually when you go back and play this game a lot of people find Goldeneye to come back to uh, especially on the Switch versions. A Goldeneye or a um Doom 64 they find it a bit more awkward because it's just the one joystick. Yet this uses the C buttons as the second joystick. And as as I said it was actually quite you know it would the GameCube eventually would do it as just norm. But this was doing it and I couldn't ever do it. I remember I had South Park and South Park called one control set, two rock, two rock. Uh, and then the other one it called Brown Eye because it, it would get it registered of, okay, there's two different types of players here. But it's more of a PC, I suppose. That is a more of a PC way of playing, isn't it? And it tracked it over because it really did go for that Doom. You know, this is a big first person shooter. We were saying about Star Wars, not really quite knowing what it is. Turok knew what it was. Turok knew what it was. And then it sort of expanded on it. You know, I said about the excitement at weapons. So did this. You had the traditional weapons like the pistols, the shotguns, the assault rifles, the miniguns, rocket launchers, grenade launchers. And then because you're in this expanded, you know, void where dinosaurs and aliens cohabit with humans you had then the futuristic weapons like the alien weapon literally alien weapon it's like a plasma color you had the particle accelerator you had the fusion cap uh, cannon and then eventually you would get the chronoceptor no cerebral boar yet i'm sorry cerebral boar is the next game such a iconic weapon, though, it? Anyway, no, no shooting random little spots into people's heads, which then drain out all their bodily fluids. <laughs> Do you think Nintendo would have noticed then? <laughs> well, you've done what? <laughs> anyway, but still this, like, you shoot holes into people when you shoot them. You know, obviously, sorry those in Germany, but y- you could create holes into people. Like, it was so cool, you know, the bugs exploded people you know I mean it was felt it It was good like it was exciting you know me and my early teens you know this felt like an adult game this felt lovely and one of the things that were great in it were the just ramboing it you know you've got your knife you've got your bow and just rambo it and unfortunately there was a tomahawk as well it was taken out later on but he was, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it's just so cool just to go around and go, right, I'm going to do this with just the knife and the bow. And see if you can. That Literally go, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, I couldn't do it now. Don't you dare try and nominate me to do it on a stream. It's not going to happen. Anyway, so it was eight levels for the eight parts of the Cronus Scepter that you had to collect. So it's all set in the immersive jungle and you've got the hub ruins jungle uh ancient city ruins catacombs tree village uh lost land and the final confrontation all apart from the last one could easily be a diddy kong racing track <laughs> sorry hashtag Justice for timber um <laughs> so it's, it's a mixture of enemies that you face off as well as i said you've got the humans you've got the insects you've got the aliens and you've got the dinosaurs and the, the four bosses that you face off against in these levels so after two levels uh, so on the second like the second level you will always face off against the boss and the sort of first one uh long hunter was human you got mantis which is a cool one uh the bug and then you got thunder which is the dinosaur and then finishing on the campaigner which is like otherworldly it's, it's something that lives in this void um and then you g- this is so, it's so expansive as well with the gameplay like they, they put like wildlife in there but they took a lot of it out like They took out um, uh, quite a few few, uh, animals, especially that you can hear prominently (laughs) through this game. But you have have birds, deer, uh, you had fish, monkey, which you can hear as well, wild boar. um, But there was going to be more. There was going to be Brachiosaurus wandering around. You're going to have Pterodactyls, and they they had uh, this uh, bachomp, which looked like the iguana, uh, fittingly, the iguana um, logo which would have been very on-brand for them. Uh, But then you had the saber-tooth Tiger, and you can hear it all the way through, like the panther noise. I'll put the actual noise now. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll keep my... (laughs) (laughs) Because it's quite funny. But I love that expansiveness. It made you feel like you were in the jungle. It really did. And to be honest... It's an overall brilliant first attempt on a first person shooter. You can't take it away from it. So, in gameplay, I'm going to take out Shadow of the Empire now. Sorry, Shadow to the Empire. So, we're between Pilot Wing 64 and Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Now, Turok Dinosaur Hunter is great, it's a great first attempt. It's a game that you can pick up now, especially if you're used to joysticks. If they ever make a uh, copy of that for the Switch, have they really released that for the Switch? I think they might have. Uh, That one will work with two joysticks. (laughs) However, I think for originality and difference on this console and that it is a completely different experience that you're going to get anywhere else, I'm going to give the second Jinjo to pilot wing 64 and that's nothing against two rock dinosaur hunter i do know what it is against uh shadows of the empire it is because uh, yet again it doesn't know what it wants to bloody be If you're going to be a third person shooter make it a third per- it's it tries too hard two rock dinosaur hunters fantastic is it's one of those games I think I enjoyed more coming back to it than I did back then. I definitely think it's in that category. I've enjoyed it more coming back to it than I did back when I originally played it. But hey-ho, there we go. Two Jinjos down. God forbid the leg for this episode. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't know what time you have, but I have an hour and 20. Just coming up an hour and 20. <laughs> Flipping heck. I'm going to be a while I to take this on. <laughs> let's, go on to game, let's go into graphics and sound. So let's go on to sound and graphics. Now, this is very much the early days of the N64. So don't expect to hear, like, like oh, it's, it's amazing what they got into these cards because they are still learning. There is a part of it where it is bloody amazing what they got in these cards, but they're very much still learning. So let's go into Pilot Wings sixty-four with the graphics because Platinum had a really close relationship with Silicon Graphics and um, yeah, and and, and Nintendo because Miyamoto wanted gamers to experience the f- the wonders of free flight and how expansive everything was in this 3D environment. And David Gatchell uh, of Paradigm said that they looked at... The- they basically started everything at the physics of the game. So literally everything started with the physics of the game. And then they expanded upon there. So Paradigm obviously made massive simulators for nasa for the air force uh, for the military um for uh, boeing as well so we've already said that but because of this they had their own 3d development tool which was called vega ultra vision this was great because it was able for them to they to, already knew they already knew how to create a created create an expansive world but they had to work within the parameters that they had on the n64 so they they dropped the level of detail that they would necessarily put on, let's say, the millions of pounds worth of uh, simi- fry simulators that they're creating. So they dropped the le- level so there was better detail with draw distance. And when with this, they use Z-buffering, which uh, tracks objects, telling the computer, the graphics processor, uh, the depth of, sort of something and seeing where it needs to be rendered and where it can hide bits and pieces. But it, because of that, they were able to really expand on this island you know if you've played this game it's pretty the detail on this island is pretty good and runs seamlessly like you don't have cuts where you go to different parts of the island you can it seems like you've got this open world in front of you now the music composer of all this dan hess who also created a game that we haven't covered he created the music for The game F1 World Grand Prix, which is, I mean, I'm going to play it for you now. A lot of you will know I'm a huge F1 fan. That one of the sounds of my childhood, <laughs> <laughs> and it goes without saying that the music that is stuck in this and the uh, this, the calming effect that music. As ah, the robot again, back, hide, hide. God. Anyway, the calming effect that it had on the game was just oh it's so immersive like that's where i said before people hear that music and it calms them it soothes them however that's because they remember the beginning levels (laughs) anyway music because star wars has a bit of a composer associated to it so star wars shadows of the empire they approached mister john williams but he turned it down (laughs) he turned down the job but personally recommended joel mcneely now joel uh, wrote the game music however the title music and the main menu music were actually from star wars empire strikes back so they were cut uh, parts of the music so they, it was original music but they were cut parts of the music so they were in the still the original soundtrack for Empire Strikes Back but never used actually in the movie so they used those two cuts but the problem that they had was, was the size of the cut so they had all these ideas of getting voice actors in which they eventually did with the PC version um, you're getting voice actors in So they said to Nintendo, look, we we need we need an expanded cart from this eight megabyte one you've given us. So actually, Nintendo gave them a 12 megabyte cart to work with, but it still wasn't allowing them to really do what they later did on the PC with the, uh, you know, the voice acting in it, uh, the, you know, the expanded uh, the expansion on the 3D graphics and Uh, It it did look and run a lot nicer on the PC version. However, this is where Cliff stops getting critical. Because, by Jinjo, it's immersive. It makes you feel like you are part of a Star Wars movie. It does. And I tell you what, I give it to Joel. He did such a good job with that score. And the sound effects, it sounds like nothing, everything sounds like it should be in Star Wars. Nothing is there and you go, "Ah, oh, it doesn't really sound like that. It sounds like it should be in Star Wars. And it does it so incredibly well. Um, And the, the problem with the game is, is that you look at it with 2023 vision and you say, well, I I've played Rogue Squadron i've played battle for naboo i've played rogue leader for the gamecube which still you play now and it's it feels like it's never aged i mean you play these later games and obviously factor five who created these games had a lot more time on their hands they did they had a lot more time to develop these games on their hands and they weren't perfect by no stretch of the imagination is Rogue Squadron perfect. We will come onto it one day, and I will be talking about fogging. Hint to might what might be mentioned in a minute. Um, fogging in that game. You know, it's it's nowhere near perfect, but it's aged better. So fogging. <laughs> <laughs> Fogging a Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Now, when it's a foggy day, a lot of people go, this is Silent Hill. It's not Silent Hill. It's not Silent Hill. This is Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Every time I make that joke, is the fogging is ridiculous. And that is solely down to the amount of detail Acclaim tried to ram into this game. They had to drop animals. What game has ever had to drop animals from being... <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really detailed. Like the real-time light effects of the particle systems that they put and they used to use this bloody game make this game to add more realism. You know, like Acclaim had some of the best bloody studios for motion capture. They they had some of the best. So they had this stuntman come in. So that, I mean, like the detail they're putting into this is incredible. And then obviously they had the same stuntman record human sounds. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's in there. And they even tried to put, they even tried to use um, sounds of uh, emus and ostriches uh, for the noise of the dinosaurs. But sort of use that as point of reference of. This is what we want. At the this is what we want with this. Um, so the amount of detail they put in, like it has aged incredibly well, but the draw distance on it, literally, it's like oh, I can see twelve foot in front of me. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's got its charm. Where it's in the maybe because it's in the forest, it has. It's not as noticeable as it may well be or could be but it's it's definitely yeah it's definitely there <laughs> so the soundtrack was made by darren mitchell who who went on to pretty much become synonymous with the uh two up franchise he made the movie uh, music for all four uh two up games that came out for this console um as well as the south park game another soundtrack very much Like the. That noise, I'll put it in the background as well. That is like. God, that's. That's like ingrained in my head. Like, I'm not even listening to it now. Well, I am. Post production clips listening to it. Not. Not not recording, Cliff. Recording, Cliff can't hear it. Post production, Cliff. He, he's going. I'll oh, shut up, Cliff. Talking about, it. but he can hear it. <laughs> you can hear it. Do you know what you can hear it? But I can't hear it now. Time's a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such an immersive soundtrack. Now, with it, it's very simple of what it does. It's. It's that basis of the soundtrack changes depending where you are. You know, if you're in the forest, there's one there. You know, you get the wow, there we go again, uh, of the saber-toothed tigers and the monkey sounds when you're in the forest. It gets all dark and dingy when you're in the caverns and stuff along those lines. Uh, And then the cave. So it it really changes, um, as well as having those sound effects muddled in for somebody that is all about immersion when i'm doing any form of record and keeping hopefully you guys engaged two people that are still here well done um but no i I think that it's huge that part of it you know i'm massive you know uh dirk mags fan and with him obviously with the audio production you know how he immerses people in his audio dramas is absolutely humongous but to do that in a game it's really well done and I think it, uh, it gives you a feeling that you're there. The only thing is, is, it's very similar. So there isn't a moment where you go, oh, there's a difference in music. You know, it keeps everything on a even kiln, I think, is the best way to put it. So who is going to win sound and graphics? Because it's a difficult one. I think this one's even between all three. And even though part of me wants to give it to Star Wars to make this a draw, I don't think I can because it is so polygonical. And even though I would say that um, Pilot Wing sixty four has a beautiful soundtrack and robots, oh, we're not doing that joke anymore. And uh, yeah, I think that um, it's ah, oh, it's a hard one. But I'm going to give it to it because I still still play it now and I go, how did this come out very early on in this game's lifespan? And I think it did go on to uh, inspire others. It it inspired definitely the Rare team to try and knock it off its pedestal with GoldenEye. I think if there wasn't a Turok, do I think... Well, yeah, there would be a GoldenEye because of Doom, I suppose. But it's... It, is, it was always like everyone was like, we need to beat Turok. We need to beat it. And if you're looking in sound and graphics, you know, to get the animal models in there, the movement of the dinosaurs, the to actually, you know, use what they had, you know, Acclaim obviously had more likely all of that still stored for Mortal Kombat, but it, it, to have the motion capture, to really go the immersive as they did, even though Star Wars does sound like you're in a Star Wars movie. Does feel like you're in a Star Wars movie. It is still polygonal as cag. Um, And oh, Boba Fett looks shite. <laughs> Boba Fett looks really shite in it? it. Can't get over it. Anyway, the winner for this Jinjo is Turok Dinosaur Hunter. So that means Star Wars has to draw this. <laughs> come on star wars you can do it (laughs) i don't think it's gonna anyway let's go on to what the critics thought and then mostly or most importantly what you thought So here we are. What you thought and what the critics thought. And we're going to start with them critics and how much they sold. Now, this is really contrasting, like strangely contrasting. And it may well come down to fan base without ruining it. Um, <laughs> Pretty obvious. Switch 1-1 one, one now. OK, I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> um, does it win the score, though? So if we're looking at units sold, and remember that both of these, these are European launch titles. We're not talking about what they sold in Japan against America, against Europe. The, we are just going on from the moment that they stop publishing these games. These are how many they sold, not how many they sold in that opening week because we know that one would have definitely won. And that's why it's not a part of this bloody vote James, you, you said on the stream the other day, why is it not a part of this vote? Is because it would bloody win. Super Mario 64 would win. We know it would. We can't put it in there. It's not fair. <laughs> it's got its own battle for Ginger's coming up soon. Against a franchise maybe close to my heart. Anyway, but I digress. And if we're looking at how many they sold, pilot wing 64 came in at 1.12 million to rock dinosaur hunter came in just above it at 1.5 million now they are st- before we say shadows in the empire that's two humongous numbers however if you combine those numbers you will not get as high as how many copies of Shadow's, Shadow of the Empire sold. Shadow of the Empire sold 2.65 million copies. Wow. Wow. I mean... Wow. <laughs> I, can't, I, I It's Star Wars, isn't it? It's Star Wars and in a 3D environment. People... Obviously, you did have it before on the PC. Uh, you, you had it. It's not the first time we've seen it, but people lap this up, and it wasn't because what the critics thought. Because we are going to start with Star Wars. Remember, this sold double the amount of what the other sold. I'm so sorry, Star Wars. So the verdict on IGN. What's strange about Shadows is that the storyline is compelling enough for most gamers to want to play it until the end. Despite all of its problems, you actually get accustomed to the poor level of design and horrifying movement just to reach the ending. But not because it gets better, but because the Star Wars itself universe is so fantastic. Again, oddly, the game as a whole is just slightly better than its mediocre individual parts. If you like Star Wars, you'll like this. But if you like Star Wars and lo- and you love games, you're in for disappointment and disbelief. So this is, this is the review back then. This isn't 2023 v- uh, goggles. This is back then. This could well be the lowest score we have seen in a battle for Jinjos. I'm sure somebody who keeps track of this would be able to tell me. But Star Wars Shadows of the Empire is not winning today. <laughs> Scoring 6.5. 6.5. That's absolutely mental, especially seeing that what they said about Pilot Wings and the score that got was so that what they said was this is by far one of the most impressive 3D games ever seen on a console, and its delivery is charming, diverse, and enjoyable. It's a classic Nintendo game made up of simple, addictive qualities and garnished with superlative detail and graphic finesse. Wow. And Nintendo would go on to only make one sequel for this, and it was on a handheld. How the hell are we at this point? I would say that the spiritual successor of this was Re-Resort. However, what? What? This is a game that came out earlier. So it scored 8.2. This is more of a... Score that we should be seeing in a battle for Jinjo's 8.2. So let's go on to Turok. Because as I said, Turok did it, it set the precedent. And they said about Turok, in the end, Turok is fully fully envis... Sorry. In the end, Turok is a fully envisioned game. And a serious contender to the best of the Doom genre on any platform. Rock surprises, challenges, and pleases and is full of deep, long-lasting gameplay. A multiplayer mode would have greatly enhanced this game. And sometimes, extensive fogging can be annoying. But overall, a terrific first-person shooter. So let's, before we go on to the score of this one, that is a huge part of all of these games. To take from Ash vs. And this is why I haven't really brought it up because Ash vs. In the under consultation episode that we did, brings up fantastically that this is a multiplayer experience console. Yet yeah, all three of these launch titles, and including the one that I didn't include, no multiplayer. And I think I accidentally said that Turok did as well on his uh, podcast. Sorry, Ash, if you're listening back, you can you can smack me over the head later with fish. I don't know. Went Monty Python then. Anyway. So, winning its third Jinjo, <laughs> possibly winning the whole of it, but let's not stop because let's come on to what you guys thought in a second. But winning its Fur Jinjo with 8.6 on its IGN score, it's Turok Dinosaur Hunter. And what did you guys think? So let's go into comments because I had no comments on Twitter had to come to you lot on discord if you want to join the discord community come to the little the little section it, it, down at the bottom you've got the details of this yeah go into there and then there you've got a link to discord channel come and join there's loads of lovely people across there it's lovely it's like it's like it's like um it, it's like twitter but without toxicity it's lovely so Timson, talk about you in a minute Almost picked up Turok at launch, but seventy quid price tag and the need for a memory card pushed us towards Mario. Matty Boo Twitches Turok was the first Nintendo 64 game I ever played at col- at a college mate's house, and very fond memories of playing the demo of Half Level and Shadows of the Empire in a, me- a Virgin Mega Store. Never played Pilot Wings. But looks pretty sweet. <laughs> then we come on to Phil. Pilot Pilotwings 64 is an unsung hero of the N64. Parts drive you mad. Parts are damn relaxing. All in all, it's still a fave for the N64 to this day. I would definitely pick it to play if the three were set, sat in front of me. Good times. Good memories of playing it. So that's what you guys thought. So how did you vote Lots of you voted. 35 of you, I think, in the end voted. Absolutely astonishing. So let's go from the bottom up. Sorry, Star Wars. <laughs> I can hear Neil now. Neil is shouting at his, in his headphones. It's more like he sat on a train or a bus. I, I, I know the Isle of Wight do have both of those. Not many, but they do. Um, he's, he's shouting down this going, No, no! But... Star Wars Shadows of the Empire scored 21% of the vote. Pilot Wings 64 scored 33% of the vote. And the winner with almost half of the vote at 45%. Turok Dinosaur Hunter is by Jinjo, the winner of this battle for Jinjo's 4 1. Sorry, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. <laughs> He got close! He got close to his storyline! Sort of, probably. Maybe. Do you know what? Thank you very much for listening all the way through. I will be back next month for another podcast. And this podcast is not gonna be about for Jinjos. This is gonna be a round table with myself, Timpson, who you may well hear in the chat occasionally, and Martin from now and then 64 and we will be discussing the topic of best multiplayer experiences for this console. So expect to hear about Goldeneye. Expect to hear about Mario Kart 64. Expect to hear about Diddy Kong Racing. Hashtag justice for Timber. Expect to hear about Smash Bros. Expect to hear about Mario Party. Expect to hear about WWF No Mercy. And WWF WrestleMania. And uh, WCW NWO Revenge. And oh, There's just going to be loads of multiplayer chat. A proper, 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 proper multiplayer chat. And it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to record it. It will be coming out at some point in April. I like saying this now. doesn't put so much pressure on me. But some point in April, it will be coming out. That will be your April episode of N64 Life Podcast. Oh, And then we'll be coming back to the battle for Jinjos. And you're going to have to wait for that. <laughs> I just hit the tripod. Sorry, I'm professional. But you're going to have to wait for that. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, my obviously, if you want to get in touch with me, then please do go to the Discord link below. I've said it now three times. I think it's the third time I've said it. If you want to get a hold of me on the old Twitter, it's N64Life Podcast. Or if you want to get a hold of me personally, it's at the AmazingCliff. Both come through to me, no one else, but Hey-ho, whatever way, best way suits you, I suppose. If you want to send me an email, then it's n64lifepodcast at gmail.com. And then on the Instagram as well, n64lifepodcast, as well as the Twitch. Remember, 8.30 till 11, most Fridays, most Sundays, you will find me. At the moment, we have gone back to the Ruddy Friday streams, the traditional format of the Ruddy Friday streams, as well as we're still doing the chill streams. We, we, we're still off of it. If you have not following already, go and hit that follow. Go and hit the follow button and tell everyone about it. You've got to tell at least one person about it. At least one person. And you've got to record you. Us. No, don't do that. That's weird. Don't go up to people and start recording them. Uh, excuse me. Go and watch and listen to N64 Life podcast. I'm more of an Amiga fan don't do that that's odd <laughs> please don't anyway that's me done and dusted for another podcast and I shall catch you all very very soon
1: ¿Te gusta volar? ¿Quieres vivir una experiencia inolvidable a vista de pájaro? Pues ponte el casco y prepárate para un alucinante viaje aéreo en el que podrás practicar siete modalidades diferentes de vuelo. En Wing 64 el objetivo es alcanzar la más alta licencia de vuelo y tu insignia de piloto. Para ello necesitas superar un curso dividido en varias pruebas en el que... pilotarás desde un ala delta hasta un helicóptero. Te convertirás en el hombre bala al ser lanzado desde un cañón. Practicarás parapente y visitarás cuatro islas diferentes. Win 64. un juego de altura solo a la altura de nintendo 64.
0: anyway thank you very much for joining me on this podcast you all bloody rule. now hang on i sound like luke owen i'm not saying that that was horrible no offense to luke it's not it's just that's his thing why did i say you all rule oh I like saying good night at the end I'm turning into Luke and Ash. Ah, I don't like it.